but lifting each other up and building each other up is so is so imperative as disabled people because we're we're creating a movement and we're moving forward for people who are younger than us and you know people who look like us and that is i think the, the best thing that we can do Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. So, Paola, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm definitely super excited to be on here with you today and chat a bit. Yeah, I'm so, so glad that you uh, came on and it's going to be such a fun chat. So the question that I start off with for everyone, because I think it's very important that we all realise that we refer to disabilities differently, is how do you describe and refer to your disability? I describe and refer to my disability as a condition that limits my ability to, you know, interact day to day, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's because of a medical concern or a societal concern. I think most times we've, and for a while, we've only defined and seen disabilities under a medical scope, which is, this is your disability, you know, this, these are your treatments, this is what can make you feel better. But we forget that there's the social model to disability, which basically entails of how much more disabled can society make me by not being either the most accessible or having the most open human beings in this earth to incorporate me in life Uh uh-huh and so and with that what would you say is like your biggest barrier um to like societal restrictions well for me since my disability is mostly physical Mm -hmm. it's inaccessibility yeah right in places but it's not only in places it's in people as well yeah because I think it all starts with people you know you can't ask a building or an institution to become accessible if the people in it aren't willing to yeah so I think you know we tend to have you know kind of go up here and say, oh, but this is not accessible. Oh, but this, and this is in my case, because again, it's my disability is mostly physical. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find it, you know, it's the people. And I, ever since I started this line of work, I have seen that people are becoming a lot more open and willing to understand and to integrate us into their businesses, communities, societies, all of that. Yeah. And I think it's really important what you say about a building, because if a building isn't built immediately to be accessible, there's always going to be a barrier to entry because the first thought in someone's brain is not necessarily how can I make this as accessible as possible for people who are not constantly needing the access to said buildings. And I just I think that's a really important point that you brought up about society and um, especially the social model of disability, because not a lot of people know that that exists. But I know that a lot of disabled people completely understand it and you don't have to explain oh, yeah. it. So so would you be able to explain what the social model of disability is to the listeners? So the social model of disability basically kind of 
understands that there's a medical model to disability, which is your what your doctor's office, your doctor explaining to you your condition, or you explaining to your doctor your concerns about your condition, you know, and then your medications, your rehab options, your treatment options. Your medical model is basically the part where the doctor says, this is what you have. These are your treatments. You're not going to be cured. And now you have to walk back out into society with this condition. Yeah. The societal model of disability is how the world reacts to disability in the societal level. Mm -hmm. And it's not just how accessible are people, places, and things. It's also how much discrimination Mm -hmm. have we had, you know, in the past due to having this infrastructure of inaccessibility in every way, not just a physical way. So your social model basically states how much more does society make me disabled from my from the medical model of disability so the medical model you have a condition and your condition is that you have a spinal cord injury and you're in a wheelchair yeah you know that's your condition but you don't know how hard your condition is going to be until you go out and start exploring life with that condition so If you go to an amusement park at Disney and all your rides are accessible, which they're not, but I'm just painting a magical world out here. You have ramps all around the park. You have ramps to access the restaurants. People aren't getting into your way. You know, people are very open to the fact that you have a disability and they're not asking you absurd questions. That would be the perfect model of, of, you know, of a social, the social model of disability. Yeah. But if you go out to an amusement park and unfortunately you can't get into the ride because there's no accessible path for you to get in the ride. There's only stairs and you're in a wheelchair. And then you have people along the way asking you questions about why do you look so young and why are you in a wheelchair? Or, you know, asking you things like what happened to you? That is society stepping over your medical condition yeah making you more disabled than you should actually be if we lived in a society that was in essence perfect i think that was a actually a really brilliant explanation of the social model of disability thank (laughs) thank you for that because i don't i'm not sure i would have had the words to completely put it all together as well as you did (laughs) and and with that and with the way that you talk about disability and accessibility and um, social models and social constructs how has your disability affected your career well I would say I went to school for public relations and business and I live in Miami and we all know Miami has this like hospitality lifestyle nightlife feeling to it and everything's glamorous you know the women are beautiful you know every night we're playing dress up to go out not me but other people (laughs) I would be happy to go anywhere in sweatpants and joggers but can't do that in Miami (laughs) Um, you know, I would say for me, 
back in the day when I worked in PR, a lot of it was just trying to, it was just trying to be part of the rush. Uh-huh. You know, I saw other people doing crazy things in their career, running around, you know, skipping a beat, doing all of that. And I tried to beat my disability, yeah. to be able to do those things. And, you know, now I am 26. I have reached a higher state of conscious within my condition, within my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually came in when I launched myself on this activism, disabled content creation um stage where I got so bored of my PR job I was like is this what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life yeah you know, just running around skipping a beat trying to be the best trying to win all the clients that we can um getting pressed for my clients all day I'm like this is too boring for me uh-huh and that's when I started kind of experimenting on my end with the content creation and then I would say that it was throughout the content creation where I kind of learned to respect my body and to uh-huh. be at ease with my body. And at times I still go crazy, you know, an entrepreneur, you have deadlines, you have things to meet, you have a full packed schedule and you just have to, you know, at times go past your bedtime and, you know, go to events and go to things. But I would say um, my disability work-wise affects me a lot physically and mentally at times as well because it could be very emotionally draining yeah and it's, it's so interesting that you say you know as entrepreneurs there is like you have deadlines your schedules are crazy packed sometimes you do just have to do the stuff and it's almost um factoring in your disability to to almost your daily routine because you almost because for you it's you said that it can make you more tired it can be emotionally exhausting it's almost like you need to factor in a little break where you can like be okay I can breathe my disability we're all good let's take a chill and go again yep all of that good oh I'm glad and so so with that and you know you're a very busy person and you know you're a big disability content creator um, and what would you say has been like the most positive attribute from that, from like being this disabled, powerful entrepreneur? I would say it's definitely opening a landscape. You know, people are like, I mean, at first and still people don't think I have a disability. People just mm-hmm. see my disability as an injury because it kind of oversteps your so, uh, your how do how can I word this? It kind of oversteps your disability misconception. You know, people have to look disabled to be disabled, and then you have this girl coming in with purple hair, and she has she's fashionable, and she has like all these canes with different colors, and then people are like, "How did you injure yourself?" And I'm like, no, I had a disability when I was younger. And then, you know, the conversation expands and it's like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm, into, I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a content creator, I have my own businesses. So I think it's been definitely, I've had <clears throat> an opportunity, I would say, I would call it a one in a million mm-hmm. because I've really opened up the landscape and I feel that I've set a new footprint into redefining disability which was always my goal since day one 
Yeah. And, and with that, um, can I talk to you about inclusive? Can we go into that conversation? Yes, yes, yeah, we can talk about Inclusive Collective. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So can you explain a little bit about what it is and um, like where you're going with that collective? Right. So I feel like there's a huge misconception over on the industry because people think that an NFT project is just a JPEG that you can right click and save and you don't have to pay um, it's worth, but at Inclusive Collective, we actually pride ourselves at extending and explaining that it is a Web3 project and not just an NFT collection. So Web3 is going to be, and it already is, the new era of Web. Mm-hmm. So right now, a lot of us live on Web2, like this podcast we're recording right now is a Web2 thing. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be Web3 podcasts. But the way we do it and the way we interact is a Web 2 sphere. Uh-huh. Going over to Web 3, and the reason why I'm so interested in pioneering is because I feel that in Web 2, we're still catching up on making things ADA compliant, on making things fully accessible for disabilities or just people, overall identities. And I feel that that's one of the things that I want to pioneer in mm-hmm. having the chance to, I'm still knocking on doors in web two to get modeling jobs, to get modeling gigs, to introduce myself, to represent the work that I do. And if I can go in onto web three and kind of overstep all of that with inclusive collective, I'm more than down to do so because it's like doing what I've been doing for the past three years in one year. Yeah. And Inclusive Collective actually started off with a basic idea of an NFT collection. Mm-hmm. But like I said, Web3 is more than just an NFT collection. I would say that NFTs are the gateway into Web3. Um, so it all started with the idea of I was like, how can I come in and represent disabilities and all identities in Web3? And then I started speaking to some people who are now my full team and my consultants and the artists of the team, et cetera. And we developed this idea to create characters of all identities and um, disabilities. So part of the project of Inclusive Collective is the NFT collection that with the sale of that NFT collection, and if you buy that NFT you have the possibility to be part of the inclusive collective community on web three for whatever we're working on, whatever we're doing. And that NFT works as a token to grant you a right to come into our web three community and be part of the panels, be part of the voting rights, have voting rights, you know? So I think it really does extend a bit more than just being your average JPEG. Uh I just think it's way too much information out there right now. It was very hard for me to come to where I am right now and understanding it. And I completely understand others who still feel extremely lost. Yeah. I think the whole idea of Web3 is fascinating, but for me, it's almost a little bit too far out there. Like I know it's going to happen and I can see it, but I still don't quite get it. And so I think it's amazing that you are someone who's going in straight away and being like, 
I'm here to represent. This is what I want to make and this is what I want to create. And I want disabled people to be fully included in this because I don't think there's been an opportunity like that before for disabled people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's incredible and it should be really applauded and lauded because I think you're you're creating something that's going to last for a long, long time. Like Web3 is going to be like the next thing, right? And you are already... Mm -hmm in there and representing and creating these jpegs and characters of people in wheelchairs or people like you with with a cane or people like me with a limb difference and I think that is incredible especially for younger people because they don't have that right now and if they do it's because they've searched for it and it's because it wasn't already there yeah yeah thank you thank you so much and you know it's what I was going back to I'm like why am I going to keep waiting to be represented where I can start kind of, you know, create this full inclusive world on web three. Like to me, it's just, it's something that I didn't have to think twice about, Mm -hmm. you know, having to understand everything in the concepts is still something you have to study every day. Yeah. Cause it's, this is really like a world, a world that has no ending. Um, but it's definitely exciting and I'm, and, and I'm very like creative and I get very, I get a lot of adrenaline when I'm developing new things. So for me, it's been fun. I can't, you know, it's been, it's been a little rough when things get way too techy techy, but yeah, you know, I could try to at times I'm like, okay, I just, I have, might have to skip that part because some <laughs> things just aren't doing. You don't have to understand everything either. Well, exactly. And that's also part and parcel of being an entrepreneur is having the idea, but also knowing who to go to to execute the idea. Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah. And it's about it's about knowing that as well. And it's good. And, you know, like you said, you recognize that in yourself, which is incredible. Um, So what is one piece of advice that you would either give your younger disabled self or a younger person with the same disability as you? And this can be like in career, life, whatever. Or if you have like multiple pieces of advice, like give them multiple pieces of advice. I always like to say, like when I was growing up, one thing I always questioned myself was, am I ever going to be okay? Mm -hmm. That was just like the one thing I kept asking myself and I kept questioning and I kept doubting over time and over time because society does have a very interesting way that it oppresses you for being valued as less. Mm -hmm. And I see this a lot in America because we are a capitalistic society. So our value is measured in how much we can produce and how much we can work and how much we can bring to the table. But when you have a condition that allows you to move at a different pace, you feel like you're not part of the pace, mm-hmm. you know? And this was something that I had to, that I had a lot of challenges with when I started working as a publicist. And there were times where my body just couldn't handle going to an event after nine hours of an office, or I couldn't handle standing, you know, somewhere for two, like longer periods of time. Yeah. And it was really something that really was always dancing in my mind. And I just want to let people know that you are, you are going to be totally okay. Like, you know, I feel that 
once you give yourself and once you allow yourself to really accept yourself as who you are, whether that comes with a condition or that comes with something that you feel is completely off or it's not, you know, your general way of living. I feel once you allow that in, um, it's a whole different world, but you have to be free to allow that process to roll in. Yeah. And I think that's, that's super powerful is that you've got to accept yourself for exactly who you are. And especially within the realms, I think of, you know, disability is that actually accepting sometimes the fact that you are disabled can be quite challenging, especially if you don't necessarily see yourself as disabled or typically disabled. And by that, and I've spoken about this before, is that I don't know if it's the same in the in the US, but I'm pretty sure it is, is that the the logo, like logo, but the sign for disability nine times out of ten is the stick man in the wheelchair. And I think it's it's something like 95% of disabled people do not identify with that logo because that doesn't represent them and their disability. So when you don't have that representation and you don't see yourself as that logo, it can be quite difficult to come to terms with the fact that actually you are a disabled body, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Again, I think it's something that takes time. And I've been in other interviews and other panels where people ask me, how do you deal with the disabled person that comes in and asks you a question about what to do if they're still hiding their disability? And then how do you deal with the person that comes in to talk about how much they've overcome Mm -hmm. their disability? And I'm like, my job is not to praise one or the other. My job is to be neutral at both ends because that's what I'm here for. And if I can't be there for both extremes, I'm failing at my job miserably, you know? And I think that the big part of this is understanding where you think you fit in at the moment and knowing that that's going to evolve. Mm -hmm. It's never going to stay the same. We're not stagnant beings. As much as we like to, we don't like to feel stagnant all the time. You know, it's fine for a little while to like mingle and jingle and be stagnant, but there comes a point where you're like, I want something fresh. I want something new. And I feel that a big part of it is just owning your process and knowing that your healing time, your own time is going to come when you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it comes to you as and when you're ready to let it happen, really. Um, just, yeah, I think it's been really interesting talking to you about, you know, the work that you do because you're so, you encapture inclusivity with everything that you do in terms of how you speak about activism, how you speak about Web3, how you speak about your daily life, how you even speak about your job previously. Um, I just think it's been, it's super enlightening, actually. And I would love to talk to you about your disability in America because I have a feeling it would be very different in the UK so am I right in thinking that because you're a disabled person that in America you will have to pay some form of medical bills towards all of this kind of stuff so like if you were to go and get like your pains and and that kind of thing is that does that come free or is it something Mm -hmm. that you have to go out and purchase 
So in America, there do exist several social programs that you can qualify under Mm -hmm. um, to receive those types of medications Mm -hmm. at a low cost. But once you leave the benefit world, once you leave the social security world or any public funding program, a lot of these things are at your own cost. So I've been on both sides of the spectrum. And when I got a job, I had to leave the public welfare programs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, medical insurance was, is expensive. It's not yeah. something, um, you know, decently priced, especially in America. And then, of course, that comes with like your medications, your painkillers, everything that you need to do to be able to, to be part of society, yeah. right? And then another big part of it that we don't see is that so either you try to get out there to live a life where you don't have to depend on the system. But once you do that, life itself becomes too expensive Mm -hmm. because the thing is that living with a condition is another expense just like paying your bills, you know, especially in America, these conditions are very hard to keep up to date and to afford. So that's why many of us have to stay in the system. And that oppresses us even more because what are we supposed to do? Go out and be in pain every day because we can't afford our pain meds, but then we can't get a job either because once we, get out of the public welfare system. They don't grant us your medical insurance, but then you can't afford your medical expenses. Even if you do get out there and get a job yourself to try to keep up with the boat of life. So, you know, I think like everything, it's hard. Like it's, you know, it's a very difficult and then it becomes this like psychological game, you know, like how much can I, get out there and afford and do on my own or should I stay in the benefits forever? And it just, it becomes a lot at one point, but trying to keep up with paying your medical bills on your own, if you're disabled can become a lifelong debt. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And so finally, this is my favorite question is, do you have a particular question that you find annoying? Um, regarding your disability so for example for me I always find the most annoying question that people can ask me is how did it happen because nothing happened to me it was how I was born I was I was born with a physical disability there's you know there was no big event it wasn't like a shark bit my arm off that's not how it happened as much as I love to tell that story that's not what happened so do you do you have a question that you find like annoying or irritating that um uh, that people can ask you for me, it's the what happened to you. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? What happened <laughs> to me? And then I think that's where people kind of feel like they deserve the right to know why someone looks different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and even though, yes, I completely understand that we as disabled beings, we spark curiosity. I think that's one of our best traits. Um, (laughs) It gets annoying at times to have to explain yourself as to why 
you look or walk or roll a certain way. Yeah. You know, you don't see me asking people who are considered fat, why they're fat. You're just considered overweight in a society spectrum. It's true. I'm sorry. You don't see me asking Rihanna why she decided to shave her head at one point and have different shades of hair. You do whatever the hell you want with your life. That's not my problem. You know, and I think a lot of it is when people who don't know me, who are strangers in the street, have these audacious questions where I'm like, why do you think you have the right to know? Yeah, because it can also be incredibly intrusive as well. And I'm like you, I completely understand why people feel that they can ask the question because I think you're bang on when you say that we can uh, like spark curiosity. I think that is absolutely bang on. But also like that question can be quite loaded for a lot of people. So the reason I was laughing when you said you don't ask overweight people as to how they're overweight is because someone who's also been on this podcast, a good friend of mine, Charlie, he said the exact, he said the exact same thing. He said, I would never go up to an overweight person and ask them how they became overweight. I never in a million years would do it. So I don't understand why people think it's acceptable to come up to me and ask me what happened. Because the thing is that even with people who are considered overweight in a societal standard, people already assume they know how they became overweight because they ate too much. But that's not even like a proper case. At certain points, there are people with certain conditions who do tend to become overweight throughout the years. But that's not even because like, you know, people... Uh, uh, doubled up their diets like these are just things that you can't go on around asking everybody or being as intrusive especially when you don't know the person I've had friends for years and they're like you know we'll be at dinner and they're like so you know I I see you all the time talking about your disability on social media but I still don't know how you became disabled and I'm like, are you serious? So like, we've never had this conversation. We've been friends for three years. And then you see strangers coming up to me all the time asking me these things and you haven't asked me. But then I think that also comes from a line of respect, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, if you know, people get kind of bothered by certain things, if you're respectful towards that, you find a different way to come around to it. But I think that people have the audacity to feel they deserve an explanation as to why we look different because we live in this society now where it's like this constant um, approval, you know, it's like this constant gratification. And with my line of work, ever since I started, I can say I've seen a decrease. I've seen people down the line ask me less what's wrong with me. Yeah. But back in the day, oh my God, everywhere I was going to the supermarket, to the bar, to work, it was like this constant audacity. I'm like, what is wrong with people? <laughs> See, it's really interesting because I think for me, some people don't immediately notice that I only have one hand. And it's almost when they realize that the hand is missing, they get taken aback and they're like, oh my, uh, yeah. uh, how did it happen? And because obviously I might have had like a 10 minute conversation with this person. I'm like, how did what happen? And what are we actually referring to right now? Like you need to 
you need to ease your way into yeah. this conversation yeah. a little bit better because it's it can be it can be a real like hit in the face I agree and even with my friends like I have a ton of friends who have limb differences and even to one of my like 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 I'm talking about someone who's already a best friend of mine I've known her for like a year and a half ago already I'm like you know I still don't know if you were born with a limb difference or like how you acquired your disability like I feel that these are things that within the community we're all the same yeah nobody really cares like asking you you know it it just came up now that I'm including her in inclusive collective and I'm including her story so I had to interview her about her disability but besides that I don't think I would have ever asked and I think it's so bang on those who are in like you know have disabled friends you don't you don't really care because you all know that we're all kind of in the same boat and at some point like you were either born that way or something happened and it doesn't really matter what happened or how it happened but like we're now all in the same boat and we're having a great time and we're really enjoying each other's company but outside of that boat it can look really bizarre yeah yeah no 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 I I agree and I think even within the community the only thing I constantly ask is let me know if I can help you in any way. Yeah. Yeah. I leave it at that. They come up to me. They let me know. I'm like, okay, for sure. Let, you know, let's get it done. But. Cause at the end of the day, know. it's about lifting each other up and creating spaces for people that haven't been created before. And I think yeah. that's like, you know, the ultimate message really, isn't it? Is, you know, you want to pave a way for people who are a like you or like me or like you as in like yeah. the royal you or whatever but also yeah, paving yeah. way for people who are younger because I think when I look back at you know social media even you know five ten years ago I could never see anybody who looks like me and then we go back even further we think about television we think about films I have never seen myself represented in a film I've never seen myself represented in like a tv show I've never seen myself necessarily represented in the music scene so I think you know but lifting each other up and building each other up is so it's so imperative as disabled people because we're we're creating a movement and we're moving forward for people who are younger than us and you know people who look like us and that is I think the the best thing that we can do I agree I agree and I think it's more of like a utilitarian goal more like a you know one for all yeah so that's why when I see people still trying to like differentiate things and dissect us apart i'm like get out of here <laughs> i have no <laughs> yeah get see out. Later. oh well amazing yeah. well i think this has been super enlightening and i think you're such an interesting person to talk to on inclusivity mm-hmm. and really like you're really lighting a flag for a lot of people and paving a way especially within web3 and also within the work that you do as an activist and i think you're just you've been amazing to talk to about all that kind of stuff and I'm I'm really thankful for the time that you have um spent chatting with me and yeah thank you so much for coming onto the pod and hopefully you've had a good time too I did I did super I'm always super excited to speak to anyone who wants to get a little inclusive for a little bit and really hone down on the experiences of those who are living these situations rather than just learning by the book 
So thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me, you know, a bit of time to share my life on here and what I'm working on constantly. And I hope we get to do it again soon. Uh, yeah, part two will be coming soon. You heard it first. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one, one final question for you. And that is, are you disabled and proud? Yes, I am. I am disabled and proud. Yes, we love it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.